Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 100 of Freight 360. We made it. We're, We're centurions. We got Trey awesome. Griggs from Lean Solutions Group on with us today. It's a it's a landmark episode for us. Um, you guys can't see us, but we're somehow we all match today. We're all wearing Black <laughs> Lean Solutions Group. Thank you, uh, Lean Solutions. Sure, yeah. Right. Hey, we love right. you guys. You got just wrapping up our website for us. We we always praise how great you guys are. We're probably going to be uh, or most likely be um, doing some more business with you guys as we as we grow Freight Three Hundred and Sixty. Because obviously, you guys are great with marketing, staffing, tech, everything. So we we love it. We're, you know, we we drink the Kool Aid that we preach, right? So um, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't say enough good things about you guys. So. Um, today we're going to talk Appreciate about that. sales leadership. That's going to be the bulk of our episode. Uh, but first, Trey, what's uh, what's new with with, with Lean? What's uh, what's been going on with you guys lately? Anything fun well, and exciting? I'm, well, uh, definitely. There's a lot of uh, milestones we've recently hit, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I'm glad you actually brought up you know the, the work that we do from a marketing standpoint. A lot of people don't know about everything that we do. Um, and so just as a, a shameless plug real quick, you know, the marketing side is really taking off. We do a great job, both on an agency style, but also staffing side. Sales is doing tremendous. We just hit 100 um, uh, employees on that side. It's only been going for about nice. a year, so that's going well. We've got a couple um, of 100 milestones here. Yeah, we, we've, that, was, that was a big one for us. So we're excited about that. We're still learning a few things and, and, and moving into new industries. But that's going great. Obviously, we've been doing tech for three years, both staffing and development, whether it be you know, middleware, web, uh, you know, any type of you know, web design uh, applications. Um, that's been going well. And then the, the staffing side, the back office operations is absolutely just absolutely killing it. So we just hit a couple milestones. We're over 250 customers now. Um, this time last year, we were like 115. So we've grown considerably Double. our customer base. Nice. But also our employee count is now over 4,600. Uh, employees wow. down in Colombia, and we're adding somewhere between you know three and five hundred employees a month, um, which is just I mean it's 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 a lot of work and it's really crazy, but also incredibly exciting. So a lot of big milestones, a lot of good things are happening. I think the word is really out now, and we're benefiting from that. You know, a lot of companies you just you spend forever with sales and marketing trying to get your name out there, and after a while, once you get that pinwheel going, then people start reaching out to you, and that's when you know that you've created a, a really good business when you start to you know, get yeah. customers from referrals or just from people have heard the word and like, Hey, it's time for us to jump in and, and do that. So it's an exciting time at lean for sure. Absolutely. It's you make a good point there. Yeah. Congrats for sure. First and foremost. So the, the thing I like what you said there is um, when you get to that point, when you start getting customer referrals and your brand name and just your brand culture overall is recognized. And even in addition, in your case, your icon, like your, you know, your, uh, the cartoon of you, I was talking to one of my old, yeah, uh, yeah. one of my old coworkers about a, uh, an hour or two ago. And, I was like, yeah, we're recording with uh, Trey today from Lean. He's like, oh, that guy's got the best cartoon icon for his life. <laughs> I've <laughs> never talked to the guy, but he, knows, he recognizes that's, it. So. That's awesome. I don't, yes. I, don't get, I don't hear a lot about that. Speaking of which, yeah, and I saw you guys did a couple other, and I mean, they're small, but doing this stuff, I really notice it. Like you guys got a new bump out too that you guys designed with the logo move that it came in. I saw it on LinkedIn and a few other places. So, yeah, I our mean, marketing team really does some tremendous work. I mean, the really deliverables cool. are top notch. The work that they do for my podcast, Bathrooms and Bunkers, is incredible. I mean, the, the video Production overlay value is huge. Stuff. It's yeah, great. It's great. So, there's a ton that we can do for customers, and it's just exciting as people become more aware of that. 
Definitely. Well, hey, episode 100 here. If you're brand new to Freight 360, you found us at a momentous time here. Welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us well, for a while, congratulations first back. to you guys. I didn't yeah. say that. I should say congratulations to you. 100 episodes <laughs> is big time. Thanks. So well done. Yeah, it's, it's come a long way since September of 2019. So we've been through a whole pandemic, which apparently we're still in. So, uh, but hey, make sure to leave that five star review. It helps us rank high on iTunes. We're actually ranked pretty good when uh, transportation and logistics podcast. So I'm happy with that, but uh, feel free. We'll, we'll do a live read of, I guess not live, a recorded read of any reviews. If anyone wants to, you know, promote their uh, brokerage or their dispatch service, whatever, leave that review. Um, well, cool. So a quick sports rundown, obviously we're wrapping up the Olympics here. Closing ceremonies is actually the uh, Friday, the date that this episode will, will air. Um, medal count us is pretty obviously in the lead, not as far as golds go, but, uh, Simone Biles made it back in after about a week hiatus. She got the bronze and the, uh, the, what is it? The beam balance. Balance beam. Yep. So, um, Trey, we were talking off air before golf. I didn't follow the golf part too much. What did you hear about that? You know, the golf tournament was actually really good. I I gotta say, I was really skeptical about the golf tournament because there's only 60 players. And when you think about who actually makes it, you have a lot of people who are in the tournament that are like 350th in the world, but they made it because they're the best in their country. And so you end up with this tournament where it's not the best, like the strongest field. And I don't like that. Like, I really wish that they would do the top 100 in the official world rankings, regardless of where you're from, and then take the next 50 and make those from countries that aren't represented, you know, the, the best players in their countries. And that way you yeah. get a full tournament of 150, you get a cut on, on the, after the second round, but it, it just gives, I think a better strength of field. However, however, with that said, the, the tournament was great. And the, the leaderboard at the end was really strong. You had some very notable, you know, golfers uh, high in the world rankings around the world. And then you had some people you'd never heard of who were kind of in this, in this new place that they'd probably never been in. And the stories they get to tell of going up against players that they probably will never get to play against because maybe they're just not, not ever going to get that point Yeah, was pretty exciting, you know, and Xander Shoffley is one of my favorite golfers um, probably because he's my height. I always pull for the guys that are my height uh, <laughs> because I figure if you're, if you're five, eight, you're already at a huge disadvantage compared to a Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka. And so um, I'm, I was pulling for him and he, you know, he, uh, he pulled away with the gold, which was very exciting. Um, it was a good tournament. It was fun. So I enjoyed that. And, uh, and my, and you know, the thing I like about the Olympics or anything, is it's the one sporting event where there's a little something for everybody in our family. And so we get to, we get to watch things together. So the women's gymnastics, my girls absolutely love that. We all love watching swimming for some reason. That's just one that we enjoyed last night. We were watching diving, which was fun. And we were looking at some of the um, uh, YouTube videos on diving fails, which are also hilarious. If you watch those. Is that like where they belly flop or face plan or like on the board? Yeah. That that probably shouldn't have been the Olympics, but uh, there's some good videos on YouTube. So we've just enjoyed as a family getting to watch different sports. And it's, it's a rare event where we all, are, are into it. So I appreciate the Olympics for that. Hey, so speaking of, of speaking of diving that um, I think it's the 10 meter, the high, the high dive. Have you ever yeah. jumped off one of those before? Yes. If not. It, it is <laughs> I super, to, super high. I had to it do is. it for a, an army, like combat water survival, gear, whatever right? it's called. And it is, it is insane. You are falling forever. 30 some feet. Yeah. I swam competitively <laughs> growing up. In fact, it was probably the only sport I could have gone to college to go play and yeah well when he was saying diving fails it just reminded me of so many practices just because what you don't see in the competition are all the practices and you just get jacked up even off the lowers like that you know oh, yeah the, the three, the three meters, meter board like, absolutely 
I mean, the welts, <laughs> oh, the welts that I've seen in diving practice are, it oh, makes hair stand up on my arms. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's crazy. Good stuff. Um, well, the other thing too, is that I know that, you know, we're excited because football season is about to be back. Training camp is now in session. I don't know if anybody's been following my Kansas city chiefs. They should be, if they're not already, they should definitely do that. But I want to let you guys know that Mahomes threw a behind the back pass in, in training camp this week, completed it. So he's got some new things up his sleeve. He's healthy. Very excited about that. I know that uh, your bills, you know, Josh Allen, they made some good acquisitions this, uh, yeah. this off season. So there's going to be yep. some good, some good games this year. I'm very excited about it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the AFC championship game is a rematch of last year with uh, the Chiefs yeah. and Bills. But you know, the Bills are going to be great. The Browns yeah. are going to be, I think, good as well. I think they're going to be a contender. Um, and so I, those are my top three AFC teams that I think will, will come out of this. But there could be some surprises. You know, San Diego could maybe come up with uh, with Justin Herbert. He might have a really great year. Lamar Jackson might come back with the Ravens. They've kind of reloaded a few few positions. So Hall of Fame we'll game is tomorrow, right? Is that Steelers, Cowboys maybe preseason? And then real preseason starts next week. I think that's yeah, what I it that's is. Right. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm also I'm, – I'm excited to see Jacksonville. And, I, I mean, say what you want, but I just like seeing a college coach come in, Tim Tebow's back <laughs> in the game, got a rookie quarterback, first-round pick. Gonna be, it's going to be entertaining, that's for sure. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm not going to bet against Brady until he retires at this point. No, I'm really not. Can't. I mean, he's – He's uh he just continues to excel and he's more hungry than ever. I watched the video of him accepting the rings. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the video of them accepting the rings. He made a speech and he told this story about when he was at Michigan and one of the um one of the I think equipment managers or somebody would show the freshmen all the rings that that Michigan had had acquired over the years. And he told the story and at the end of the story he said, "But do you know which ring is my favorite one of all these? The next one." <laughs> and when Tom Brady said that. In this speech, I was like, I got chills. Like, oh, he's going for another one. He's going for eight. Like, I'm not betting against that guy on the NFC side. I, I hope that no. um, Mahomes wins. I hope they get to it and win, but I will not bet against that guy on the right. NFC side. I think yeah. he's a favorite. Without a doubt. Insane. Well, good stuff. Love the love the sports banter and uh, rundown there. So, Ben, give us a little uh, shout out to our friends over at DAT. And I believe it's, again, Trey, it's your, your, your former Folks that's right. There, right. Coming full circle. That's right. 2012. Yeah. They gave me my first uh, gig in transportation. So thank, nice. thank, thank you to them. And Janice Compton, my, my former boss, shout out to her. She's still there. <laughs> Take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out a link in the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. That's it. That's it. All right. Good stuff. So topic today, sales leadership. I mean, we're, this conversation, we don't, I'll tell you, for anyone listening out there, there has been uh, zero uh, official prep on this topic because we wanted to go into this raw and just have a, a true candid, transparent conversation when it comes to sales leadership. And I think, uh, Trey, I think with the the three of us and our backgrounds and what we do day to day, this is a great thing to look at in general. Between the company that, you know, with Lean, first of all, with all of the hiring, growing, and, um, you know, when folks hire, they got to put that leadership hat on and step away from the, the brokerage mindset for myself with agencies and agent development, Ben with coaching with folks and, um, you know, 
just that, that transition from when you're moving freight, moving freight, moving freight to leading people is one that a lot of people can fall flat on their face when it comes to it. So I love this topic and I want to dig into it. So, um, Trey, what, uh, what made you decide you wanted to, to talk about this topic today? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think for me, I've been learning so much and I'll just start by saying, first of all, I don't, I'm not an expert in this. So take that with a grain of salt for the listeners out there, but certainly learning a ton and enjoying the, the process of learning. Um, I'll probably be learning for another 30 years and hopefully, uh, communicating that and <laughs> we'll probably renege on some of the things I say today based on what I learned in the next, uh, next several years. But it, it's been a, it's been a great learning experience. Um, over the last several years and specifically as at lean as we're growing, like you said, we're, we're creating new departments, new divisions, new based on the needs that we have. And that's requiring us to really think through who do we want to hire? Um, how, you know, how many people do we need in those types of seats for that work? How are we going to incentivize them? And, you know, one of the, I think one of the, um, the, the challenges is, is incentivizing people correctly. That's a, that's a very difficult challenge. Um, but most importantly, I think everyone in your company should be incentivized in some form or fashion, one way or the other. Sales just kind of gets that because it's known as a commission type of a job. Right. But, uh, but I think incentivizing people is so critical to getting the behaviors that, that you want to do. Say what you want. People are driven by money. Even if it's not their highest value, there's still something to be said about that, about, about, about money. But there's also importance uh, to understand that money might not be the best uh, carrot to incentivize yeah. somebody. So you have and to be really creative. About there's, that as well. there's different ways that you can incentivize a play outside of commission. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like for example, if you're an accounting folk, if you're one of the accounting folks at a, at a freight brokerage, right. You're not going to get a commission for the amount of money that you invoice per se, because you got to figure in margin, all that stuff. So I'll tell you a company I used to work for did a profit sharing agreement and it went to every single employee in the company once a year based on the company's uh, bottom line growth and there was milestones. So if you hit, um, you had to hit, uh, I think it was at least 5% growth for it to start paying out. And it was, you got a half percent payout for every 1% of growth. So basically, and it capped at 20. So if the company grew 20% bottom line, there was a 10% share that went out to all the employees that are on the payroll. Um, and that was a great way for folks to have some skin in the game, even if they're I not like that. commission. Oh, it was great. Because think awesome. about that. Like not only, so what happens, right? Just for an example for listeners, right? And like all of these are ideas that you can take and implement into a brokerage to even hire your first employee, it, let alone your second. You don't need to be a company of lean size to take what we're talking about and implement it day to day. Because what you just said, right? That means the company for every percentage they grow, they pay out half of their growth to the people that help contribute to it. It's 10% of the growth, but 10%. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, right? But what happens is over yeah. time though, if they retain those customers, the company gets the benefit in perpetuity. And every time everybody contributes to the growth, like it's a really good win-win. I like that. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got people that are, you know, uh, administrative or data entry that are getting five, $6,000 bonus checks after the year end, once the, you know, the books are all settled. And that's huge because throughout the year, they may not have always gotten that recognition or seen that bump in their paycheck, uh, but they knew it was going to come every year. And it also helped with retention because people, I mean, you you got the the few that would wait until they got their check and then quit, but people would stay because they're like, we're on an upward trajectory. And they're like, it's going to be even more next year. So um, I always thought that was cool. And then throughout the year, um, us folks on the sales side, we would always 
try to help them out throughout the year, buy lunch, buy breakfast, bring donuts and whatever, just to kind of let them know like, Hey, we appreciate all that you're doing. Um, and then the, obviously the company would, would have that profit sharing, um, at the, you know, after the books were closed at the end of the year. So I like it. And let me talk about the source of that too, because here's why companies typically don't do that. You know, a lot of companies don't put a plan like that in place because they're really wanting to reward the people at the very top. You know, the CEOs and the C-level executives, those guys almost always get a bonus at the end of the year. And that's where that cut comes from. If they're a publicly traded company, they're trying to increase the the price per share and the the value for the shareholders. But what's really great about the model that you just shared, just, just a simple one there, is that it really does give everybody an incentive to work together and to work hard. Um, and it shows that, you know, like when you, when you value your company, your, your, your employees and you show them that by a plan like that, yeah, the people at the top might lose a little bit. The shareholders might lose a little bit, but the company as a whole is going to do significantly better because everybody's pushing in the right direction. I think people lose sight of that sometimes when they think about, you know, profit sharing. That's a whole nother discussion that we can have, but profit sharing is a really great way to, uh, to, to get the employees on board. Here's one thing I've noticed the grocery stores in my area that have the best customer service and the best attitudes among employees are the ones that are owned by the employees. The employees have a share in the company and they get something out of it. So whenever you have a, an ownership stake, which is essentially what profit share is doing, it's not a true ownership stake, but it's like an ownership stake. You know, you're going to get something out of it when everybody wins. It's huge. I have a you know, question really about that. So I have never worked for an employee owned <clears> company, <throat> um, but I've heard of, I've heard of, people that have come from brokerages that were employee owned, how does that work? Is there like a percentage of the company that is divided amongst the employees? They have a, they have an employee share pool. Um, so okay. they might say, for example, they might take the, 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 if they have a company with shares, they might take 20% of the shares and say, these are going to be divided by the employees and they might give it to them based upon experience or seniority or, you know, um, years of service or something like that, you know, your share might increase a little bit over time, things like that. But generally it's a, it's a pool of shares that they, that they divvy out. And then when they give their pay or their dividends or their whatever at the end of the year mm-hmm. or quarterly or whatever it is, those folks get their, uh, their bonus that way then. That's pretty Yeah. Cool. Like let's say that the, let's say the company profits $10 million. We'll just use that number. That's really simple. They might have a situation where they're going to take half of that profit, $5 million, or maybe 25% of that profit, two and a half million dollars. And that's what they're going to use to provide shares based upon that. So they would take that two and a half million dollars and they would take 20% of that, which would be you know $500,000. And they would split that out to all the employees. That's awesome. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a share that's basically just calculated to provide that. And sometimes it can be pretty significant, especially if the company blows up. Yeah. So, and I, I think it's a really good segue because I, I wanted to get both of your thoughts on what you think are some of the other like subjective traits of leadership, right? Because the one I just heard, I mean, the, the cool intricacies of being able to do profit share with your employees gives them the ability to share in the growth and the profit, right? But you also hear some things like, you know, leaders that tend to put themselves ahead of their team or vice versa, right? That's a great example where, like you said, when you put the team first, all, what is it? Rising tides, lift all boats, right? What are some of the other intangible things that you guys see as like leadership traits? So I was the first, go ahead. I want to say one thing on that real quick, because it's exactly what you said. And that is the most critical thing of being a leader and especially a sales leader is understanding that you work for your team. They don't work for you. 
that you are there to make them succeed. And if you're compensated correctly, you're going to succeed as well when they succeed. But your goal is to help them succeed, whatever that looks like, whatever you've set up for that. And whatever they need, they know they can come to you. They can get it because it does two things. One, it it allows success to be achievable because you're there providing the right tools, providing the support, providing the encouragement. But two, it creates an environment where a sales rep or an employee in general doesn't feel hindered to come and say, Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me here? If they know that your job is to help them succeed, they're going to be more open about areas that they're struggling instead of trying to hide it, you know, and protect themselves. And so you're creating an environment in which people are wanting to improve and wanting to you know, reach out for help. Um, and when they do that, it does create an opportunity where they get better. If they never do that, then they're just going to stay where they are and they're going to hide it and try to, you know, keep their job because they're afraid of maybe their boss or the environment is toxic. But in a situation where you've communicated abundantly and clearly, hey, I'm here to help you succeed. What do you need? Tell me what you need. And you create that and you foster that to where they truly know if they're struggling in an area, they can let you know. It could be a personal struggle they're having. It could be a professional struggle that they're having. But this, it's just an open communication. It just changes the entire game, in my opinion. And I think that easiest way to think about this is if you've never worked at a company like this, think back to your days in grammar school, right? The teachers that were mean or the ones that people were scared to ask questions, you probably didn't learn that much. You probably didn't enjoy that class very much and you probably <laughs> didn't perform that well. But the teachers that actually treated you like peers or that they were supporting you in your journey to learn were probably the classes you look forward to. You probably collaborated with more of the kids in that class and you probably learned and retained more. And you probably can picture that teacher in your head right now. I would yeah. be going to bet. <laughs> You're absolutely yeah. right. So this yeah, is something gonna, that something that we called in the army. Um, we called a command climate, right? It's the it's the environment that everyone would work in. So uh, at, when I was a company commander in the army, so I commanded a on a deployment about fifty people, right? So smaller unit, but I, in any of my free time, when the you know the leadership business was done and I had some downtime. I would try to spend that time doing one of two things. It was either spending time with the soldiers to learn from them things that I was not proficient in and have them kind of highlight their talents to me. And the other side was then offering mentorship to those that wanted it, whether it was professionally, personally, whatever the case might be. But that all kind of built around that command climate. And the same thing has always flowed, flowed over for me in brokerage. So um, overseeing independent agents, a lot of these folks have a specific niche that they're an expert in that I may not be, and I can learn a lot from them. And by them teaching me certain things, they become more proficient. And then on the flip side, there's a lot of things that I know that someone with a niche might not know. And it's kind of a two-way relationship. So I think having that overall, that culture and that climate that goes two ways, I think is extremely, extremely important in any organization, whether it's transportation or anything else. Yeah. And I think it goes back to how you view employees, you know, like, and I heard this once, I think it might've been Steve Jobs. I don't know who it was, but somebody, somebody smarter than me said, you know, that you want to, um, you know, teach your employees. So that, like, like train them up so that they can leave, they can go and do other things, but treat them well enough. Well, that they, don't they want never to. do Richard Branson, you know, there you go. Richard Branson. Thank you. I knew it was one of those smart, smart fellows. Ben always um, knows, Ben always knows whose quote is. <laughs> he knows the quotes, but I think that's true. You know, it, sometimes people might say, oh, it's just a cliche. So it's not possible. It's totally possible. Cause you know, if you really care about people, give them all the resources for them to grow and get better. Cause it's only going to make your company better. If they do decide to leave. Okay. So be it. You have the process in place to keep training people and keep growing. But if you treat them well enough, they don't really have a reason. If you give them opportunities to grow and increase pay and you know, for performance and things like that, they won't, 
they won't want to, they're going to love it. That's the other cliche. It's the one, one manager says, um, what if we train everybody up and they're the best in the industry and they leave. And then the other manager says to the first manager, but what if we don't and they stay? They stay. Right? That's right. Like, That's right. That's right. No, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And you know, from a leadership perspective, you always want to be building a world-class organization. You always want A players. Whether you recruit A players and they come in and, and you can make them A plus players, you recruit B players and you can turn them into A players. That's what you always want. You want to keep raising the standard, keep raising the bars. But the way you do that is by truly caring about people and providing them the resources that they need to improve, whether it be coaching, training, um, whatever might be incentive plans. And then you watch them thrive. And the companies that really do well, I think, do all of those things really, really so well. I want to hit on the, the compensation part of it, right? So let's say you're a small to mid-sized brokerage and you're, you're adding mm-hmm. a new role, right? Whether it's a sales role, dispatcher role, or back office, whatever the case might be. The compensation piece, I think, is very, there's so many um, opinions on it and how folks want to do it. And um, some people swear you got to commission everyone. And some people say, I don't want to commission people and have them make decisions based on their paycheck and not on the business. Um, So I kind of want both of your opinions on how do you structure a compensation plan for a new employee? I know it's a very, very vague discussion. Uh, but you know, let's, let's focus it in on, on broker. Just say you have a new person that's going to come in and work as a new broker in your company. Ben, what do yeah, you so think? Well, go ahead, Ben. You ready? No, I was looking okay. up something else. Right. You have to... <laughs> let, me, let me jump in real quick. So I, for, I think you have to start with the end in mind. And that is, what do you want this person to do? How do you want them to do it? You know, and if you can, if you can answer those questions, then you're ready to start creating a compensation plan that makes sense, that will incentivize the right behaviors and de-incentivize the wrong behaviors. And the first thing I'd say is this, if you're not ready to pay a decent wage, a decent base wage to an employee and you're asking them to work, you know, commission only to see how tough they are, I just, I don't buy that. I don't think that's a good way to do it. Um, I think, you know, there should be a balance between a starting pay based upon their experience, based upon what you want them to do so that they can live. That's important. But you want to also find people who are not satisfied with that. So let's back up for a second before we talk comp, and that is recruiting. Like it is incredibly important to find the right people because even with a great comp plan, the wrong person is not going to survive. They're not going to. I'm just going to say that. So hiring the right person, the right type of person for the position that you're that you're using is so important. And I heard one person say this to me a long time ago. They said it's a lot easier to hire than it is to fire. And what he meant by that was people will hire people quickly because they need them. They don't do the right, um, you know, vetting process. They don't really look, you know, think through and ask the right questions and open-ended questions to try to find out how they think and how they're processing things about tough situations in life, about what they want in life, and really get to know that person. A lot of times, people hire based on need rather than on the, you know, making sure that the person is a good fit. So to me, that's critically important that you get the hiring right, and that's probably a whole another podcast is recruiting. But you got to recruit the right people and make sure you vet them to make sure you're bringing in an A player who's going to fit your culture and who's going to have opportunity to thrive in your business. So one. one of the, oh yeah, go ahead, continue. But then I would say number two is you need to be ready to pay a decent wage from a base salary perspective so that, that person can survive, all right? They shouldn't thrive under that and they shouldn't be satisfied with that, but they should be able to live off of that. And so based upon your area, based upon what's appropriate, 
that's the starting point is what am I willing to pay somebody so that they can live? If you if you pay somebody a base salary and they can't afford an apartment within 10 miles of where you're working or 15 miles, then you're, you're probably not realistic about that. So you got to look in and understand where, where do you live and what do things cost and what position are you asking somebody to go in from day one, especially in a commission role, because it takes a while to ramp up. They're not going to make a lot of money in the first couple of months. It might take three or four months to really start making some money. All right. My first job at DAT, which was great, they had a phenomenal system in place. I wasn't really on full you know, ramp up until probably month four. Right. And so um, having, a, uh, having a base that's livable is critically important. And if you can't afford that, then you're not ready to hire in my opinion, or you got your priorities wrong. You're not running your business efficiently. You're taking too much money for yourself or something's going on. Right. Yeah. So that's step number one. But then number, the second thing about the comp plan is you got to start with what do you want them to accomplish? What, what incentive, what do you want to incentivize? What, what types of behaviors do you want to incentivize? And this is critical because a lot of times it depends on the product that you're offering. It depends on how, what volume can somebody do? What's a realistic you know, volume that somebody can actually accomplish? Because all those things skew the numbers. If you have a decent plan in place, but you don't calculate the volume, they can either make nothing or they can make way too much, mm-hmm. you know? So you have to understand your product and those types of metrics of volume and, uh, you know, how, how many calls does somebody need to make in order to, uh, on average, to, you know, make a deal or for freight, whatever it is, to get a load and, and start book that, uh, booking loads, whatever that might be. You need to understand your business in order to, to provide a really good comp plan. So and then, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was take it away. And then the, the, the third thing on that is, you know, after understanding your business, that's where you dig in and say, okay, what, what's, how much money do I, do I really want this person to be able to make from an opportunity standpoint? Because I think, you know, you have to be realistic about it. If it's somebody with their first job out of college, you're probably not wanting to put a comp plan in where, where they can make $150,000. One, it's probably not wise for, <laughs> you know, a 22 year old to start off with $150,000. But the flip side is you also don't want them to be so disappointed and discouraged that they don't want to work hard for you and they're probably going to end up leaving, you know? So there's a balancing act in that regard in terms of what is, what is a good target, right? And that target needs to be realistic. Like as, re- and I would always say this, the target should be realistic under, um, maybe a little under, maybe like, you know, skewing it under a little bit, because the last thing you want to do is give somebody a target of $75,000 a year. And then they work their tail off and they do everything right. And they make 60. Like there's not, you know, that's going to yeah. be disappointing. So setting those expectations is really critical. So, so one of the so things, those are, those are philosophies, but that's kind of how I, I would start. Yeah. And I agree. So I want to elaborate on that. One of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to hop in here and, and elaborate on is identifying what it is you want that person to do. So I have an agent right now that I spent the last 48 hours working very, very in depth with him because he's about to hire his first uh, employee. So background on him, he's, uh, he's ran a couple of brokerages in the past and now he's an independent agent. He's got to make his first hire and build his team. And he's like, Nate, what do I do? I'm, I'm going to hire somebody to be my assistant. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Assistant? I mean, are they going <laughs> to, are they going to be answering your personal phone calls and scheduling your dentist appointment and your haircuts? Uh, no. He's like, well, I want them to do, you know, A, B, and C. I'm like, okay, well now we're talking. That's not an assistant. This sounds more like a, a dispatcher or a carrier sales rep for you. I'm like, you I'm like before you do anything, you need to have a, basically a general job description and a title on paper that makes sense. And you could show Mm -hmm. it to any candidate and it will make sense to them, whether or not they understand our industry and freight, they're going to understand what their job and expectations are. I said, and then once you've identified that, look at those tasks and what, you know, what part of those tasks 
produce additional profit for you. And then you can kind of correlate that to a tie that into a commission structure, but set goals in place. So, you know, we're still kicking it around together, but he came down to the idea that uh, at first he's like, well, I want to pay her, you know, him or her 50% commission. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. You're going to be handing your your customers <laughs> over to somebody to, to move freight for you so you can go sell more. I'm like, now you're going to be paying, you know, way more to that person than you're going to take home yourself on this. I'm like, it doesn't make financial sense. It won't work for you in the long run. Um, I said, you got to set goals in place. You've got to scale that commission back to a realistic level and keep in mind, oh, by the way, you have to train this person so they understand brokerage and not just brokerage, but your specific book of business and the niche in the market that you work within. So um, people a lot of times think that, oh, if I get the right comp plan, I'll get, you know, I'll get smart, hardworking people in and then they'll just figure it out. There's a training aspect and a growth period. Like you said, it took four months for you to ramp up. Like that's sometimes in brokerage, it's six to 12 months, if not longer. Yeah. I mean, really think about this. It took four months for me to ramp up a DAT and I received an award that year. And during receiving the award, um, the senior vice president said, I ramped up faster than anybody else in the company history at four months. So it is, you got to be realistic about how long it's going to take somebody to really get this down yeah. and figure it out. That's, that's really critical. I want to go back to the job description thing. This is getting into the weeds. So the philosophy at the beginning that we talked about is really important, but now you get into the job description. But even so, I would say this, you want to lay out the job description, exactly what you want them to accomplish. Um, and I think even also think about what's realistic from a time standpoint. So if you list 20 things, it's not going to take an even percentage of time for each of those 20 things. They might be doing track and trace uh, for you know 15% of their their day because of the volume that you're doing or something like that. You want to understand what that day looks like, not just the list of objectives. But then this is really critical. You can't just create a commission structure that fits everybody. Like I think you need to have some options in place, like more than one commission structure available. And let me tell you why. You go out and you hire somebody for a position and they're phenomenal, but they don't care about money so much. They really want time. Because they've got a hobby. They, they, they train for triathlons and that's their thing. They want to do triathlons. So they need a little more time to train. They're not necessarily interested at this point in their life in making a lot of money. So if you create a commission plan, that's just based on helping them make money, but they're working way more than they probably want to, even though they're great at their job, you know, then that, that plan doesn't work for them. So there has to be flexibility in the commission plan based upon the person that you hire, what they care about. Somebody who has kids, do you think they want to be working until 6 p.m. at night covering loads if they've got little kids in sports? Why would you do that to your employee? Like They want to go to their kid's game more than likely, right? They need a little more time off. Maybe they need a little less money, a little more time. Yeah. Maybe they need to come ch change their hours a little bit. But you have to be flexible about this because one of the other critical things about leadership is this. It's knowing your people like being relentless about knowing your people. What do they care about? What are their passions? What are their struggles? And it changes. It can change daily. It can change weekly, change monthly based upon the season of life that they're in. What they care about today as a 23-year-old is going to be different than what they care about a 28-year-old newly married with a home mortgage. You know, they might, they might need something different at that point to really thrive. And so leadership, you have to understand, you know, who you're hiring. It's not a cookie cutter process. What I think makes it really difficult. I think a lot of people want to create a comp plan and go, this is great. This is a perfect commission plan. It's going to incentivize them the way I want. And they hire somebody who doesn't value the same thing. And then they don't get the results. So I just think that's really critical that leaders understand that. I think it's, it's huge, right? It's, I mean, think about it at the end of the day and it's most simplest sense. All a comp plan is, is how are you going to incentivize the people you need to do mm -hmm. things? 
okay, well, that might incentivize you, but until you talk to them and listen to what's important to them, you have no idea. And just because money is the top concern that seems to be there, certainly doesn't mean that's the most important. I mean, I could give at least a half a dozen people that I've worked with in brokerage that have fallen somewhere on that scale. I've, I've had assistants that had four kids, literally didn't want more time. They just or didn't want more money. They needed more time. I've had guys that work for us that we brought on that only cared about money and then had kids. And then it changed just like you said, right? Like it was great for three or four years. Then they got married and then they had two kids quickly. And now all of a sudden money wasn't the priority. It was time. And the problem was at that place, there was no flexibility. The way they managed everybody's comp plan was the same. Everybody got the same. And the only way they were able to manage their biggest expense, which was employee turnover, was putting more pressure on all of the sales staff. It was a yep. one size fit all. Everybody yeah. makes this. And if, it's, if it was too much pressure on the company, they would shorten the window to roll people out quicker to try to reduce their cost rather than doing what you're suggesting, which is just asking questions, taking the time yeah. to learn what's important on on per case basis, if you can. And you can yeah, do I mean, a lot of that in the interview process too. Like I, yes. I remember I had a, when I started in brokerage, the one of the first questions I was asked in an interview by the, he was the VP at the time. He said, you know, rank these in order of importance to you. And it was like power, money and recognition. And at the time, mid 20 year old, I was like, well, money is the top priority for me. I'm going to, I was single, no kids, right? I wanted to make a lot of money. Uh, number two was, I said power. I wanted the ability to, to be able to make decisions and not have to always get approval if I'm competent enough to do it. And the last one I said was recognition. I don't really care about the recognition right now as long as those things are being met because that's where I feel like I was a good fit to be able to make decisions and be able to write my own paycheck based on performance. I don't need to be recognized for it though. Other people, they'd rather make less money as long as you tell them they did a great job that day. You know what yep. I mean? And But you can also, <laughs> right. it's not just those three, you can add other things in, right? The work-life balance, right? Flexibility, be able to work from home days off. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into that. And I think you just, you got to ask the questions and take that yep. time in the interview process and the recruiting process, because, you know, you may think I got to fill this spot right now, but if a month later that person's out the door, you're back where you started, but you just wasted time and money. And, and, and here's another, let me, let me say something real quick. That. If you're going through a sales process and you have a pitch, right. And you get on a call with a prospect and you just start telling your pitch, that's the most foolish thing you can do because you have no idea what that prospect needs. But if you ask questions to that prospect and find out what their needs are, where their struggles are, where their pain points are, where their, their most urgent needs are, and your product can fit that, now you know how to pitch based upon their needs and what will really work. Um, and that's so critical. So why wouldn't you do the same thing with a recruit? Like you said, go through the interview, find out what they care about, and then create a structure that fits that person to get the most out of them. It obviously, the reason why people do it, it takes time. It's harder. It's more work but you get a better return when you do that, in my opinion. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. Yeah, and I think you end up reducing your costs over the long run because one of the biggest costs with any company is turnover. Um, Without what, I, what I was going to give are some actionable things you could do through this process. So one of the things that I run into all of the time with clients that want to do this is one, they don't know exactly what Nate pointed out. They don't know exactly what they're hiring for. So the first thing is mm -hmm. think about the very specific tasks you want to hire for. The next thing is I usually have clients go through and do a time awareness log, like literally write down every day on a piece of paper, I have them put it on their desk, 
how long those activities are taking them over a two-week period. Because now it's not subjective. You've got real numbers and you go, okay, I need somebody for 15 hours this week. And it would took me 17 hours the next week. Do it one more week. Okay. The average is 16. Now, you know why you're hiring. You know how much time you'll get back because the other big thing I think brokerages don't take into account is when they try to figure out what they can afford to hire somebody, they don't take into account the opportunity cost they get back once they get that time. So if I'm going to outsource 20 hours a week that it's taking me now, how much business can I get? And what is my profit should it look like once I no longer have to do these tasks? Because that's really the number that is the sustained number to pay for this employee. It's not the number you're at now. Every single hire should have a multiplier of how much more they're going to produce in bottom line for you. That's the the simple formula. All right. Good topic on leadership. We got a we got a few Q&A questions here before we wrap it up. So the first one I got here is uh, kind of vague. It says, how much do drivers actually make? Um, so I'll answer this fairly quickly. There's a lot of, you know, so brokers understand there's a lot of different models that drivers operate in, right? You've got an owner operator who literally has their own vehicle, does all their own work and, you know, figures out how much profit they're going to take home at the end of the day, but all the profits there's. Then you have leased on drivers who don't have their authority, but they have a truck and they're just going to go lease on at a carrier that has an authority and has freight to move. um, And they'll get a, you know, a different level of pay. And then there's company drivers, right? Where they literally get hired as an employee for a company. The company gives them a truck, uh, gives them freight to move and sends them on their way. So it all really depends. I will tell you, uh, someone asked me this recently. I'm going to just go with a super basic $2 a mile for carrier pay in this example. So if you are an owner operator, you're going to make two bucks a mile, but you've got to pay for your authority, your insurance, your truck fuel, all that stuff. Um, Leased on drivers will typically make a percentage of the line haul that that carrier makes plus fuel in some certain, you know, some instances. So maybe it's like 70 or 80% of the line haul rate plus all their fuel that way the company still has a profit. Company drivers, I usually make it about 25%. So you'll see like 50 cents a mile, 55 cents a mile. You'll see that advertised on the back of trucks all over the place. So um, did I miss anything or is that a fairly accurate? A good synopsis. Yes, yes, in a nutshell. All right, next question. My, my customer wants live load tracking. How do I set this up? Um, in a nutshell, I mean, you've got tracking apps out there like MacroPoint, uh, I believe Truck Stop has one, Project 44. Tools, a, lot of the, a lot of the ELDs have them. Um, live load tracking, though, is not everyone offers it. That's where it literally is live. It's not like it's pinging every two or four hours. Uh, you can get that through MacroPoint. You can get that through some of the ELD companies. You just have to make sure that you define that live tracking in detail and not just pinging in every you know four or eight hours. Ben, was there any By other the options way. you had there? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that was just basically, there's two differences, right? There's live and there's ping. That just means that you will get the updates when that sends a ping to the driver and back. So you'll get them occasionally. Some customers require real time all of the time. That's yep. live. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons you might see that is in, like I've reefers. seen it in a lot in like produce reefer stuff where they want to see where it's at, um, the temperature and all that stuff. And a lot of ELD companies will offer that as some kind of integration through like a customer portal or something like that. So just ask the right questions. All right, last one. And uh, Ben or Trey, you can answer this. My customer canceled a load after I already sent a Raycon to my carrier. What do I do? Ben? 
I think it depends. First of all, where you're at in the yeah, when's it picking up? Is it tomorrow? Is it right now? I mean, yeah, I mean the the time of day. I think is the one thing I always factor in truck orders not used or tanus, which is whether or not you're going to pay a driver for a canceled load. If it's not until tomorrow, I say no. If it's the same day, it's a maybe. And when it's within like an hour or two, it's a definite is kind of the vague timeframes I have in my head that I use. Trey, you have any input on that one? Well, considering that I only moved freight for about six months and wasn't terribly successful, I don't know that my advice would be <laughs> critical on this. I, I'd probably defer to Ben or somebody else on that. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my take on it. Um, first of all, have an understanding with your customer of how they handle tonus before you ever run into one, right? Because the last thing you want to do is expect them to pay a tonu, um, agree to pay a driver a tonu, and then the customer's like, we don't, we didn't do that. Like this load, your driver shouldn't even have dispatched yet, right? The other, the other subjective point to that is, is the truck already on their way to the pickup? Because if yep. they're not, then in most cases, you do not have to pay a tonu because they really didn't lose any time or any money there. But if they're already on their way, um, you know, you can expect to pay a tonu and you should hope that your customer is going to pay that as well. But make sure you understand what your customer's tonu policy is before that happens. Yep. I, I always liked, I mean, TQL had that policy where it was like, it's once you're rolling or you've actually dispatched the drivers when you have the truck order not used, which means when you send a Raycon, you don't necessarily need a truck order not used. If you are sending the truck down the road to the pickup, then you owe the truck order not used. But yep. again, verify that with your customer. Make sure you guys are on the same page. Yep. And always send a new rate confirmation after you change any kind of information, such as it's no longer a line haul. It is now a tonu rate confirmation. Yep. So good stuff. Any final thoughts around the horn here before we wrap it up today on Great. episode 100? Well, there's a lot that we could still talk about, plenty to unpack here um, with recruiting and with digging into specific comp plans and things like that. But I thought it was great. Appreciate it. And congrats again on 100 episodes, guys. I'm excited to be a part of these milestone ones. I was Chris Jolly's first guest on his podcast. I'm your 100th guest. I feel really honored (laughs) about that. I don't know if that's just a... Uh, just a thing or what, but I'm we'll have you on again. That. We can dig into recruiting and all that stuff. Uh, That'd be great. In the coming months or whatnot. So awesome. Ben, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go bills, go chiefs. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.